Everybody, I want to say how much I appreciate everybody that has come down to the church to pray. I stepped out just for a moment during our worship to look at the prayer log. And in looking at the prayer log, I was very, very inspired, very inspired by many pages of people who have come down to the church since uh, March the 18th. And they have filled out their name, their family name, the time that they came down to pray. That is very, very inspiring. And if, if we haven't gleaned uh, much from all of these, there are silver linings in some of what we've been doing, and that would be one of it. So whatever comes our way, there's opportunity. And you have taken this time for an opportunity to focus on prayer. And I appreciate very, very much everybody that has taken some time that has come by, passed through the prayer gate, walked into the sanctuary, put your name <clears throat> in the prayer log, wrote a comment on the white marker board. I read a comment while I was out there looking at the prayer log and someone had written, you may think that you've been buried, but in reality, you've just been planted. So there's words of inspiration, motivation, words of encouragement, prayer requests. All of that's very, very meaningful. And I thank you very much for those of you that have not been able to do that. I know that you've taken time at home to pray and seek God. And we appreciate everybody, everybody that is praying. We certainly need prayer and we need to know that we're praying together where two or three are gathered in my name, said Jesus, I will be in the midst of them. And we're praying together. Hence, we are worshiping God together. So I wanted to leave that with you by way of introduction here tonight. We're coming fastly upon March the 1st. It's going to be interesting to see what happens on a national level. President Trump has laid out some kind of phases of getting back into the uh, groove of things and that will be this coming weekend don't know what the california governor is going to do uh, but we will keep you apprised of how we're going to continue uh, with our service schedule and what that means for some sort of gathering um, so we want to pray about that and we want to see god about that and we would appreciate if you would join with us in that regard amen it's good to be in the house of the lord tonight wherever you may be I want us to turn to the book of Luke, Luke chapter number 11 and verse number 24. Luke chapter 11, verse 24. Jesus is speaking, he is actually teaching, and he says these words. When the unclean spirit is gone out of a man... He walketh through dry places, seeking rest and finding none. He saith, I will return unto my house whence I came out. And when he cometh, he findeth it swept and garnished. Then goeth he and taketh to him seven other spirits, more wicked than himself. And they enter in and dwell there. And the last state of that man is worse than the first. 
I want to speak for a few moments tonight on this subject. Go tell hell no. Go tell hell no. Lord, we thank you and praise you and we ask that you would bring strength to us, encouragement to us. I pray that your word would build an inspiration and a motivation. Give to us a fortitude spiritually to launch out and speak confidence and faith faith based on your word and your ability and your anointing. We ask that you would help us. We pray that you would guide us. We give to you thanks and we ask all these things in Jesus' name we pray. Amen, amen. God bless you. Go tell hell no. Luke chapter 11, verse number 24. This passage of scripture, Jesus in the passage earlier has taken opportunity in the middle of his teaching. He heals the demoniac and he was casting out a devil and it was dumb and it came to pass when the devil was gone out, the dumb spake and the people wondered. So Jesus heals this demoniac during a time of teaching. This is also the passage in which he teaches the disciples to pray. He talks to them about the parable of a persistent friend, the parable of a good father. He heals the demoniac. And then there is some question that comes based on the fact that he has healed this demoniac. Some, when they saw this, they wondered and said to themselves, He casteth out devils through Beelzebub, the chief of the devils, and others tempting him, sought of him a sign from heaven. So there was some question about what happened. There were some trying to get some understanding, trying to figure out exactly what had transpired. So Jesus launches into some teaching about spiritual warfare. I mentioned in the title that we should have an attitude of telling hell no. When I say hell, I I need to make some references here in the beginning and in the introduction to explain to you exactly what I'm referring to and who we are telling no. There are references to hell that are mentioned in the scripture. Um, There are some, according to the King James Version in the Old Testament, it is translated as hell, but there's different words. There's actually three major words that are at play when we talk about the word hell in our King James Bible. Depending on which translation you're using, you may see some translators translate the word a little differently than is translated as hell. So let's just take a a moment, a brief moment, in the introduction here to explain exactly what our focus should be and our approach should be in terms of us saying no. In the Old Testament, there was a concept of death and Sheol, which was the grave. Sheol in the Old Testament had a viewpoint of life being somewhat in a pattern or 
shades. There are shades of life. The psalmists write about and they lament the fact that if they are in Sheol, if they're in hell, if they're in Sheol, they have no voice, they have no ability. So it is a closing of life in shades. And when one dies, they go to Sheol, which is a holding place of all of the dead. And all of the dead are considered as shades. So in the Old Testament, when you read passages of Scripture, like hell hath enlarged itself. It's talking about Sheol. It's talking about that place of the grave, which has bars and it has chains and you can't get out of it. Once you die, you are dead and there's no way out of Sheol. And so the Old Testament concept has this understanding throughout the Old Testament of what Sheol is. It's the grave. It's those that go down into the grave. It is the voices that are silenced and their life becomes shades and slowly those shades close. And Sheol is a place in which all life is stuffed out. All purpose is gone. All meaning is gone. So in the Old Testament, hell means Sheol or the place of the grave and the dead. It's some kind of holding place. There's no understanding, maybe in a smattering of passages as you get close to the intertestamental period. And in even some cases, Job believes that he will see his Redeemer. Though he dies, he believes he will see his Redeemer. But for the most part, there is no concept of resurrection coming from the grave. There's no concept of eternal life. This is all a New Testament understanding that is brought about by Jesus Christ. Even as, as you move into the New Testament, the word in the Greek language that is parallel to Sheol is the word Hades. Hades has much of the same concept. It is a place where shades or those, are, those who are dead are held captive in a holding region. When we talk of hell and people refer to hell uh, in a New Testament construct, that word is coming from a word called Gehenna. In the uh, Hinnom Valley, there is a place where outside of Jerusalem, in Gehenna, they would take all the refuge, the dump, and they would burn it there. And so it was a place where there was fire. It was a place where there was maggots. It was place. It was a very nasty and dirty place. And so Jesus, when he talks about the wicked who will be judged, he uses that particular word and that geographical location to illustrate eternity and the judgment of the wicked and what it would be like. So by the time you get an understanding of, of death, hell, and the grave, it has all of these very colorful uh, words and meanings attached to it. And so in some places it could mean um, the gates of hell. Jesus, when he refers to the church and the gates of hell not being able to conquer the church, that is referred to as the gates of Hades. He's not talking about the gates of Gehenna. He's talking about the gates of Hades, which means 
It is death. It's the grave that is closing and trying to bar and close off any life. And Jesus is saying that's going to be an impossibility because the gates of hell shall not prevail against the church. So the term a fiery hell comes from the word Gehenna. That is the place where the fire is not quenched and the worm dieth not. So when we read this passage of scripture and my title says that we should tell hell no, I'm, I'm not talking about Sheol. Uh, although we can speak directly to Sheol because in Jesus Christ we have a confidence that we are not going to remain in the grave. That the shades that have closed in our life, that does not mean it is over because Jesus gives to us an understanding of eternal life. And that is an important concept. So we can speak to that. In terms of Hades, the gates of hell shall not prevail against the church. There is no death, there is no grave that is, able go, that is going to be able to stamp out or to quiet the movement of the church. When we speak of hell in terms of wicked judgment, we're talking about Gehenna that Jesus is talking about outside of Jerusalem in the Hinnom Valley, which is a dump. And there they are burning the refuge and the trash. I'm not speaking about those concepts of hell. But what I am referring to tonight is that in this passage, we are talking about spiritual opposition. Things that come against us. Ephesians chapter 6 and verse number 10. Finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. This is hell. This is spiritual opposition. For we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this world, against spiritual wickedness in high places. Wherefore, take unto you the whole armor of God, that you may be able to withstand in the evil day, and having done all to stand, stand therefore. There is spiritual opposition that is going to come your way. It's going to come my way. This scripture said there are wiles of the devil. There's a strategy that he employs and we wrestle, not, not against people, but spiritually we wrestle against opposition. We wrestle against principalities. We wrestle against powers. We, wreckle, wreck, we wrestle with the rulers of the darkness of this world and spiritual wickedness in high places. So there is a spiritual opposition that we face. Every day we face a spiritual opposition. I want to say this is the reason for the title. You're going to have to have some spiritual intestinal fortitude to rise up and say, I'm going to tell hell no. Whatever spiritual opposition comes my way, whatever difficulty comes my way, whatever obstacle that I'm going to face, I'm going to say no to the devil. I'm going to say no to my flesh. I'm going to say no to the world. I'm going to say no to hell. And I am going to say yes to God.
Amen. Colossians chapter 1 and verse number 15 speaks more about this. Who is the image of the invisible God, speaking of Jesus, the firstborn of every creature. For by him were all things created that are in heaven and that are in the earth, visible and invisible. Whether they be visible and invisible. Whether they be thrones. There are thrones that will be established and set up in lives and circumstances, in communities, in places, in different parts of the city. Thrones, whether they be thrones, whether they be dominion, whether they be principalities or powers, all things were created by him and for him. So there is a visible aspect of opposition and there's an invisible act of opposition. There are outside forces that come against us and there are inside forces that we have to face. I've got to battle my own flesh, my own thinking, and my own mentality sometimes. Sometimes it's good to talk to yourself as long as there's not too many people around you. You develop a mentality. You start walking around with a cloud of depression and stress and anxiety. And we're living in times right now where I know for a fact people are going through these kinds of emotions. And when you're going through those kinds of emotions, those are external forces and internal forces that are coming against you. I want to say tonight in faith, emphatically, that you've got something that is greater than what is in the world. You've got the anointing of God and the Holy Ghost in your life that gives you the ability to speak with confidence and to say to those spirits and that opposition that God is with me, God is faithful, I'm shaking this off. I'm not going to live under this pressure and this thinking and this mentality but I'm going to trust God in the midst of all of this I'm throwing off the spiritual opposition and I'm asking God to do a work of God in my life I need the Holy Ghost I need a renewing of the Holy Ghost you sit inside of your house and four walls after a while you're going to start thinking crazy stuff and I'm coming to you tonight to preach to you you gotta speak faith instead of fear and doubt and intimidation you need to say God your word is something that gives me life and strength and liberty and so I'm going to speak faith Praise God, I'm going to speak faith, spiritual opposition. Galatians chapter 5 verse 16. This I say then, walk in the spirit and you shall not fulfill the lusts of the flesh. For the flesh lusteth against the spirit and the spirit against the flesh. And these are contrary the one to the other so you cannot do the things that you would Brother, if you're living in carnality, you're not going to be able to do the things that you want to do. <laughs> if you're walking around in the flesh, you're not able to do in the flesh what you want to do and what God wants you to do and what those close to you need you to do because you're not walking in the spirit, you're walking in the flesh. Those are internal factors and forces that are spiritual opposition, that becomes hell. That becomes hell, spiritual opposition. And so a summary point here tonight by way of introduction is this. As Christians, we are in a spiritual battle of some sort. 
on a daily basis. And we're in warfare in a spiritual sense, in a physical sense, in warfare. There are different fronts. They're fighting different fronts. And they're fighting on those fronts maybe for different reasons and maybe even with different varying intensities. They're on fronts fighting for different reasons with different intensities. In a spiritual warfare, the same is true. Our spiritual battles and our warfare are real. And even though we cannot physically see the attacker, we know if hell's not already here, it's coming. And so this is the reason why we should stand and we should say, Go tell hell! No. Man, I'm struggling here. <clears throat> I'm struggling. Turn to your neighbor and tell them, go tell hell no. The first thing that Jesus recognizes is that the unclean spirit goes out of a man. The first part of verse 24, Jesus said, when the unclean spirit is gone out of a man, and that lets us know something that is very liberating. The natural habitat of an unclean spirit can be found in imagery and descriptions found in Isaiah chapter 34 and verse 13. Isaiah is writing and the word of God is coming to the nations. And God is telling the nations, describing, giving a description <clears throat> of what the natural habitat of unclean spirits would seem like. Verse 13, and thorns shall come up in her palaces, nettles and brambles in the fortresses thereof. It shall be an habitation of dragons and a court for owls. The wild beasts of the desert shall also meet with the wild beasts of the island. And the satire shall cry to his fellow and the screech owl shall also rest there. And find herself a place of rest. This is an interesting description. We have thorns and nettles and brambles and <clears throat> habitation of dragons, a court for owls, a screech owl, the wild beasts of the desert and the wild beasts of the islands. These are, this is an environment of evil spirits. And so the evil spirits look for a place to incarnate and habitate a man or a woman. There are key words in this parable to denote the removal of unclean spiritual tenets. Jesus said when an unclean spirit goes out of a man, pointing out that unclean spirits can be in a man or in a woman. They incarnate themselves in the life. That means they take up residence and they became, they become incarnated in the fabric of that person. 
Sometimes when you're talking with a person, you're talking to the addiction that has become incarnated in the person. I want you to understand and recognize it's not always the person, but it's the incarnation of the spirit that is living in the person. Oh, we need God to free and liberate individuals in this city and around the world that have been inhabited by evil spirits who have come from environments of nettles and brambles and a court for owls and beasts and screech owls. Thank God there is another environment that is greater than in that environment, but an environment of peace and strength and anointing and healing where waters flow and trees are planted and grow. Amen. The key word in this parable from the very beginning is that the evil spirit that goes out of a man, that which was in the man has to go out. Fear has to go out if it is incarnated in the house and the life of an individual. When that spirit goes out, fear goes out with it. Doubt goes out with it. Sin goes out with it. Oh, I'm thankful to tell you that when I repented of my sins and I was baptized in a name that's above every name and I went down in a watery grave, I rose up to walk in newness of life. There were some tenants. There were some things in my house that had to leave. It's only the power of the Holy Ghost and the anointing of God that can break down the incarnation of evil in the life of an individual so that the individual can break free. The only thing that's going to do it is Calvary. The only thing that can do it is the blood of the cross. The only thing that can do it is his death. The only thing that can do it is when you're baptized in Jesus' name. A name that's above every name. The only thing that can do it is the infilling of the Holy Ghost. And when he comes in, everything else has to go out. The unclean spirit has to leave. When an unclean spirit goes out of a man, fear has to go. Sin has to go. Degradation has to go. Dysfunction has to go. Confusion has to go. Lust has to go. Immorality has to go. When God comes in, the house becomes clean. Those folks and those things that had taken up residence into the very fabric of that abode and dwelling has to go because there is a greater one that is now on the scene. Addictions have to bow down and walk away with their head down. Anger has to flee. Backbiting has to flee. Fighting has to flee. Envy has to flee. Strife has to flee. An evil eye and an evil mind. Hell has to be told no. And things have to leave the house in order for there to be a freedom and liberty. With an unclean spirit goes out of a man. There's a promise there. No matter what dysfunction you're dealing with, no matter what struggle you're dealing with, there's a God that is able can, to pick you up from where you are out of that dysfunction and give to you a redemption and a freedom and a forgiveness and a washing and a cleansing and a renewing. Such were some of you, but you are washed. You're justified. You're sanctified. 
you got every reason to put your faith in a God that is able to release you from the bondage of those things that were living in your house. When an unclean spirit goes out of a man, that's the first words, and they're powerful words. Because they give to us a promise that no matter what you're facing, no matter what spiritual opposition. As a matter of fact, you may not even know that you're under spiritual opposition. But I'm telling you, that's the very reason why you're fighting. That's the very reason why you're struggling. We wrestle not against flesh and blood, but we wrestle with spiritual opposition. People are in their homes and they're wrestling with spiritual opposition in our world i believe that there's going to be a revival that is coming you're under spiritual opposition and you have to tell hell that spiritual opposition you have to tell that opposition no no anybody thankful that god freed you from the tenants that were living in your house. Sometimes people talk about things polit politically and they say so-and-so's living in somebody's head. I'm sure that there are some of you that know exactly what I'm talking about. There were people living in my life and in my head. There were things. There was spiritual opposition in my head, in my life, in my abode, in the place where I was living. All of these things were opposing me were directed to my destruction, trying to bury me, close the shades completely on my life. But thanks be to God that gives us the victory, who was able to pick us out. The psalmist said he picked me out of the miry clay and he put my feet on a rock and a foundation. He gave me a testimony, an opportunity to lift my hands and magnify God and thank God for his blessing and his goodness. And you've got that kind of testimony and if you don't have that kind of testimony, there is a God that can respond to you no matter what you are facing in terms of opposition. However, and this brings me to my second point here tonight. However, dealing with Satan and defeating Satan and casting out demons. When I say demons, I'm, I'm, not, I'm, I'm talking about spiritual influences and spirits in our life. Demons have to flee. Things that trouble my mind. Things that cause me to wake up in the middle of night of the night and not be able to sleep are demons. They are spiritual opposition and forces that would come against me to fill my house with confusion. However, defeating Satan and casting out demons is not the point of life. That's not the only, it's, it doesn't end there. This man, this parable that Jesus gives, this unclean spirit goes out of the house. But you must do more than just get rid of the bad. The demon being cast out does not remain inactive. And that is noted by this parable. The spirit goes out of the house. And it may return to its natural haunt or habitat, which is so aptly described in the book of Isaiah, a desert place, an arid desert land with all kinds of weird kind of creatures and things happening. 
But the spirit is not satisfied to stay in that place. It's always looking to incarnate itself. And so it's not going to stay in that place long. And this brings us to the rest of the passage. He, speaking of the spirit, walketh through dry places, seeking rest, finding none. He says to himself, I will return unto my house whence I came out. And when he cometh, he findeth it swept. He finds it garnished, which means that it is set up. It's cleaned. It's garnished. Then goeth he and taketh to himself seven other spirits, more wicked than himself. And they enter in and dwell there. And the last state of that man is worse than the first. The spirit, it likes the dwelling it had far more than the desert. So it goes back to the house to see the situation, the environment of the house from which it came. When the demon was occupying it, there was certain factors in that home. When it left, that house had a nice and orderly life. But that person that dwells in the house has to fill that life with something to replace the absence of the demons that have fled or that are gone. That person, that individual that finds a liberating power of God remove a spirit from a person's life needs to recognize, I've got to keep looking forward and I've got to keep filling my house with not a vacuum. <clears throat> I've got to fill my house with good things because I've got a future. If a person doesn't do that and doesn't fill the void and the vacuum from what goes out, then there is a situation in which <clears throat> a worse condition comes upon the individual instead of being possessed by one spirit, he is possessed by eight. And this is what Jesus is trying to point out to us. When you remove stuff from your life, you've got to add stuff in. When God pulls you out of dysfunction and you spend all your time and talents and energies with addictions and dysfunction and everything else, when that is removed, you got to add something back into that void to make sure that when the spirit comes back, there is no room in the house because you are full of the things that God intends for your life and there is no room. This is why we must be filled with the Holy Ghost. This is why the early church had powerful revival. And everywhere that you go through the book of Acts, you will find individuals. Peter being filled with the Holy Ghost. Stephen being filled with the Holy Ghost. Everybody that you come across that is used powerfully for God, they are filled with the Holy Ghost. They've removed some things and they've added some things in so that if a spirit that was cast out ever comes back the individual will be able to say I'm going to tell hell no there's no room here I'm completely full of the Holy Ghost there's no wedge no crack there's no way in because God is completely filling everything in my life and in my home and in my house and there is no room for hell amen 
Second Peter chapter two and verse number 17. As I come to a conclusion here tonight, Peter was talking about this kind of end of an individual whose latter end is worse than the first. And Peter said, these are, he's talking about individuals who have removed, who have seen the Spirit go out of the house, but they haven't filled up their lives with something to replace the void. Peter said, these are wells without water, clouds that are carried with a tempest, to whom the mist of darkness is reserved forever for when they speak great swelling words of vanity, they allure through the lust of the flesh, through much wantonness. Those that were clean escaped from them who live in error. While they promised them liberty, they themselves are the servants of corruption, for of whom a man is overcome, overcome, spiritual opposition, overcome. Of the same is he brought into bondage, for if after they have escaped the pollutions of the world through the knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ, they are again entangled therein and overcome. The latter end is worse with them than the beginning. Two parallel passages of Scripture. Jesus talking about an unclean spirit that goes out and brings back seven spirits. He's worse off in the end than he was in the beginning. Peter's saying the same thing here. Individuals that have been able to conquer and overcome now find themselves overcome through corruption and bondage. And they are all of a sudden entangled again and overcome. And the latter end is worse with them than the beginning. When God does something in your life and the demon has to flee. Oh, I believe that's true. I believe that is absolutely true. Demons have to flee at the mention of his name. Spirits have to flee and be gone at the mention of his name. And when that happens in your life and there is a liberty and we should be very thankful that God gives to us a liberty. We should be thankful that we have a freedom that God gives to us. We should be thankful in our testimony that every once in a while we go back and we recognize God. You brought me a mighty, mighty long way and I am grateful and I'm thankful. Praise God. But let us never get to the place where everything that God cleans out of the house becomes a vacuum and a void. And if we're not careful, we don't put back the things in that God wants us to put back in. His anointing, His blessing, His goodness, His peace, His long-suffering, so that it fills the house. Because hell will come knocking. Hell will come knocking. There's going to be spiritual opposition that comes your way. I don't want it to be said that at a weak moment I became entangled with some things. While I was in my house for 40-something plus days and I allowed some things to creep in because there was a vacuum and there was a void and so I allowed the enemy to come in and he's bringing spirits and coming in, in with him. I, I, don't want, I don't want the latter end of my existence to be worse than the former. I don't want to come back to the house of God. I want you to hear me. This is my burden here tonight. I want you to hear me. I don't want to come back to the house of God with more troubles than when this thing all started. 
I want to come back ready for revival. I want to come back full of the Holy Ghost. I don't want to come back feeling like the weight of sin in the world is upon me. I want you to pray. I want you to pray. I don't want you to wait. If this is the case and I'm preaching and talking to you, I don't want you to wait until we're back in the house of God to lay it all down on an altar and get over it and move forward and move on. I want you to address it right where you are. God, we are in a position in a place where you are using opportunities for me to mature in you. I may not have the house of God, the connection of people around me, but I know that you're a God that is greater. I'm not going to let the evil spirit that you cast out come back in with seven other spirits to try to fill the void in the gaps. Praise God. I'm going to remove some things. I'm going to let God remove some things in my life and I'm going to fill everything that he takes out with all of his goodness and his ability and his greatness. Make sure the house is full. Make sure the house is full. Life must be lived in the kingdom of God or it's going to be lived as a servant to the evil, strong man. Make sure that you put in peace. Hallelujah. Make sure that your house is full of joy. Make sure that your house is full of goodness. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. When a demon comes back to my house and comes knocking on the door wanting access. Hallelujah. I want him to know you were cast out a long time ago. You can bring all your friends. But there's no more room here in this house. Because in this house, the grace of God is here. In this house, the mercy of God is here. In this house, the power of God is here. Hallelujah, 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 hallelujah. Praise God, praise God. It's time for you to tell hell no. I know there's spiritual opposition. I'm not a novice. I've talked to some of you. I understand the difficulties that you're going through, and we're all going through those difficulties. But it just may be that God is saying, can you live for me when things are not... Can you live for me individually when hell's coming your way and opposition's coming your way? Praise God. Hallelujah. And demons are coming with all their friends. Will you be able to stand and said, having done all to stand, I'm going to stand. This house is full. There is no room in this house for anything. Doubt, fear, nothing can come in because of God's greatness and God's goodness and God's ability. Hallelujah. That, that is filling up everything. Hallelujah. Praise God. Praise God. Praise God. Hallelujah. We started out by saying one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father who is above all, through all, and in all. That describes a God that fills up everything. Hallelujah, hallelujah. No room. There's no room. There's no room. There's no room in this house. This house is a temple of God. This house is the hand of God. The architect of this house is God himself. Jesus Christ, who gave him life, his life for me. He's the architect. His hands at work. And so I'm going to follow after him. I'm going to fill the house up with his goodness. I'm going to fill the house up with his greatness. I'm going 
going to fill the house up with his mercy. Hallelujah, hallelujah, hallelujah. As they begin, as they begin to sing. Hallelujah. I want you to speak things that you want in your house. God, I want your mercy in the house. I want your grace that teaches us.